Well, I'm not sure uh, more truer words have ever been sung. Waiting is the hardest part. And if you've ever had to wait for something, you know it can be frustrating. Even as a kid, you know, it's, it's July 4th, you're celebrating fireworks and you're having to wait. When? To 9 o'clock. It takes forever for 9 o'clock for those fireworks to go off, right? And that idea of waiting just continues to get harder and harder. In fact, waiting sometimes happens because of something we've done, right? Something we've done, we're waiting for somebody to forgive us, we're waiting for another chance, we're waiting to get back in somebody's good graces. Tom Petty, when he wrote this song, he's got a quote about the writing of it. He said, it's about waiting for your dreams and not knowing if they will come true. I've always felt like it was an optimistic song. It kind of feels happy, right? You know, waiting is the hardest part. But it's like, yeah, but you're singing about something that's not very fun at all. Because you, if you've ever waited before, right, it feels like a prison sentence. You're just waiting and waiting and waiting. You've lined everything up, and now you're waiting for somebody else to make a decision so you can kind of move forward. Well, today in our story of Joseph, we've been following Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson. And we're going to learn how to frame your waiting times. What are the things you think about when you're having to wait? And how might thinking about them differently help us to frame and have hope and courage and confidence in the midst of the time of waiting? And to do that, I want to give you three idioms to think about, three things that kind of circle around your head when you're going through waiting times. So I think for many of us, we have this kind of definition of success. And the definition goes like this. I will succeed when I arrive somewhere, somewhere. And so the whole definition of success is about somewhere. And your somewhere is different from my somewhere. And our somewheres change, right? When you're young, you're like, well, maybe if I could finally get married. Ah, oh, I've succeeded. Well, no. Maybe when we have kids. Maybe when I have obedient kids. Maybe when the kids are out of the house. Right? Financially, when I make a certain amount when I save a certain amount, maybe it's a number. I will succeed when I hit a number of fans, a number of, of size of territory, a number of the weight I want or I need. And success is always this thing in the distance. I succeed when I arrive somewhere. And during the waiting times of arriving, it's very, very frustrating. What if instead there's a different definition of success? What if it's not, we don't succeed when we arrive somewhere, but we arrive when we can succeed anywhere? What if it's about who we're becoming, not about where we're going? What if it's about who you're becoming on that journey? So when you arrive, wherever it is you want to arrive, you've become the person you need to be in that somewhere. What if arriving, finding joy and purpose in life is really about that? i got to succeed anywhere. Well, that's what we're going to find in Joseph's life. Quick reminder, if you haven't been with us, Joseph was thrown down into a pit, slammed down against his brothers. His bro he had a dream of one day succeeding. He got thrown into a pit by telling his brothers it didn't go real well. And then he gets yanked out of that pit, and he gets sent in slavery to Egypt. He's living in a guy named Potiphar's place, and yet he climbs his way to the top. He's now in charge of everything that's Potiphar's. It doesn't credit. He's succeeding in Egypt. He's succeeding in slavery. He's in charge of it all. And yet he gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of raping her. 
And despite doing the right thing, he gets thrown into prison. Slammed up against the rocks, dangling from a rope. Oh my goodness, thank you very much. I'm so glad I did the right thing. Here's what I have to show for it. He's been sitting in prison now for years. And again, he succeeds anywhere. The prison guard is like, that guy knows what he's doing. Puts him in charge of everything. He's in charge of all the prisoners. He's hearing all the kind of gossip because this isn't any prison. This is the prison where the Pharaoh sends his executives when he gets mad at them. And two executives, the butler who tasted his uh, drinks for him and the baker get put in that prison. And they are terrified. Their whole life's on the line. Their whole life was about this position and it's now fallen before them. And Joseph, it says, served them and cared for them and looked after them. And they have these two dreams. And these two dreams terrify them, and Joseph helps interpret both of their dreams. And one of the dreams, the butler, or the taster, he has a dream that this vine comes up, and three days later it sprouts again, and and Joseph, who's had dreams his whole life, says, God is going to restore you to the good graces of the Pharaoh. And haven't I been kind to you? You've been kind to me. Well, don't forget me when you get there. Please tell him, I was sold into slavery. I was falsely accused. I shouldn't be in prison. Please remember me while he's sitting in prison, waiting. Which brings us to our first idiom, right? And you probably have heard this before. No good deed goes unpositioned. Unpositioned. You see, most of us think that, right? Because we we felt the sting of like Joseph did. I do the right thing, I get thrown in the pit. I do the right thing, I get thrown in prison. No good deed goes unpunished. And if you frame your waiting times with any good I do, anything ethical I do, anything I served you during these waiting times, it's no wonder we lose hope. But Joseph seems to believe that no good deed goes unpositioned. That God is going to use the good deeds he's doing to position him for the ultimate summit he has for him. That's exactly what God does. When you're going through difficult times in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, it's easy to get resentful and angry and bitter. And you kind of go, no good deed goes unpunished. Why even try? But what if you begin to believe and frame your waiting times with no good deed goes unpositioned. God's going to use who I'm becoming as I'm choosing to do the right thing, as I'm choosing to be kind, as I'm choosing to serve, to position me to become the person he wants me to be and the vision he has for me. So he's sitting in prison. He's just done everything right. He's just told the guy, please remember me. And the next part of the verse says what? Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph. You save a guy's life, you have a friend with him when he's down, and he doesn't even remember you. He forgot him. And it came to pass after two full years that Pharaoh has a dream. And when it says full years, those are waiting years. You've been in those years? Your marriage felt like those were full years. Oh, the time with my teenage, those were full years. Oh, that time in my career, just trying to get things started, those were full years, waiting for things to kind of click and get on time. And yet the work he did, the service he did, the trust he did, positioned him for two years later. Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody can interpret that dream. And this summit climber who began in a pit, and God gave a dream of getting to the summit of actually ruling and blessing the world, God used all the good deeds, and they did not go on.
positioned. And here's the hope of waiting times if you're a Christian. It's not nihilism or pessimism. You know what? You try whatever you want, and at the end of the day, maybe your kids or grandkids remember you, but at the end of the day, the whole world's going to blow up, and the universe is going to blow up, and everybody's going to forget about you, and nothing really matters. <sighs> Christianity says that matter matters. And when you're taking care of a mother or you're continuing to be kind to a child who's not treating you well, God's taking notes. And you will be positioned in the future for how you serve and trust him in the present. Now, some of those positioning don't come this side of eternity, without a doubt. Christianity offers what you don't get positioned on this side of eternity, you get positioned on the other side of eternity, serving with God, reigning with God. But you can know and have confidence that God will use. He is taking notes when you feel like nobody sees how I'm just continuing to love, continuing to forgive, continuing to apologize first. God sees it. God notices it. God will reward it. So when you're waiting, you remember no good deed goes unpositioned. God will use this to position me, to become who I need to be, and to use me to change this world and the next. It's powerfully hopeful. In fact, I was talking several years ago to a buddy, and they are uh, a huge nonprofit, international nonprofit, and they're looking to, to do some success, succession planning with the CEO. And so because they're such a large organization, they worked with lots and lots of large organizations, and they had kind of the pick of the litter of who do you want to be the next successor. And, I mean, the resumes are just incredible resumes, challenges, grew things, leadership skills, financial skills, monstrous budgets. Well, because of that, over the years, they had had many, many gatherings with all these different leaders that they were kind of investigating, some kind of under the radar, some above the radar, and lots of them, maybe the top ten leaders came out. And as they were looking at the different leaders... The CEO who was picking his successor with the board, he said, you know what, there's one guy I want you to really think about. His name's Gene. I said, Gene, well, he's, he's one of the ten. What makes Gene stand out? He said, well, about three years ago, we had a gathering at my house. And we had kind of a bunch of leaders over from this nonprofit to kind of coordinate some international work. And for whatever reason, our dishwasher broke, and we had the event at our house. And after the meal, I just kind of headed into the kitchen. I was chatting with a few people, the CEO said. And Gene followed me in. And as we were chatting, I started doing the dishes in my sink, which we never do. And Gene just walked up right next to me, put his hands in, and started washing dishes with me. And we just had a great chat about he and his life, what was going on. I mean, I remember that. And I think, you know what? A guy who's willing to put, he's not above that kind of thing. He jumped in and got the work done what needed to be done. And, and he just... It was like second nature to him just to serve and to get involved. Let's consider him. <laughs> that ridiculous act of service wasn't even designed years earlier before they were talking about succession planning. became the thing that positioned him to be picked amongst the top ten to be the next successor of this giant international thing. The Bible says when you get to heaven, there's a thing called the reward banquet of heaven. It's called the Bema Seat. That you're going to just be jaw-dropping surprised when God starts saying, I noticed when you held your tongue <laughs> when your son or daughter said such and such. I saw how for years you cared for your parents right before they headed to hospice. And I want to reward you. Well done. Well done. It helps frame our, our, our waiting times. The second idiom that's equally as powerful is that God brings bigger summits to those who do two things on smaller mountains. Trust and serve. These are the commodities God's looking for. If you trust 
and serve on the smaller mountains, in the pits, at the Potiphar, in the prison, why would God not entrust you a bigger summit? Right? Don't you do that with business? Somebody does well, they trust the plan, they serve your clients well, and what do you do? You expand their territory. You expand their leadership. God does the same. But what God's looking for is can you succeed anywhere? See, you arrive and become the person God wants for you when you can succeed anywhere. When you can serve and trust in the pit, you've arrived. You're at Potiphar's. Temptation around you. You choose to do the right thing. Initially, it looks like a bad idea. You're heading to prison. But you chose to trust God's way and to serve. Remember, he served Potiphar's house. He gets in prison. First thing we see him doing is serving the prisoners, serving the prisoner guard. When you trust and serve in any environment, God gives you a bigger summit. He enlarges your territory. That's exactly what happens here in our story today. Here's what it says in the passage. So Pharaoh awoke from this dream, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. He sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. Who can tell me my dream? I mentioned this last week, in case you weren't here, seven big fat cows come out of the Nile River. And then seven skinny cows come out, and they eat the big cows. Eat more chicken. And the seven skinny cows devour the seven big cows, and he's terrified. No one can tell what this means. No one has any idea what it means. Joseph's sitting in prison for two years, the dream interpreter. And then the butler suddenly remembers, because now the Pharaoh's going to throw all his wise men in prison. Speaking of prison, I remember something that happened two years ago. And here's what happens. The chief butler spoke to the Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults. Didn't want to bring this up before now. This day, the Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. And I had a dream one night. He and I, the other guy that he threw in. Now, there was this young Hebrew man with us. Don't even remember his name. The guy who saved my life. A servant. Oh, he's known as a servant. Oh, the captain of the guard. And he told us and interpreted our dreams for us. And in a moment, after two long years of waiting, serving and trusting, they wash him up, and all of a sudden, Joseph's sitting in a prison, he's standing before the Pharaoh. Why? Because God gives larger summits to those who trust and serve on smaller mountains. I'll give you an example of that. One of my good friends was Roy. And I remember Roy showing up to do lunch one day. And we were down at Laurel Avenue. And he said, do you want to do lunch this coming Wednesday? I said, that's great. So I get a call. He's like, hey, I'm here. Come on down. So I come downstairs. And, and uh, Roy says, hey, uh, I want you to drive. I'm like, oh, okay. My car is running. He said, I want you to drive my car. I'm like, Okay. I said, where's your car? He pointed over this Ferrari he just bought himself. He goes, I bought that for my 70th. I said, I'm not going to drive your Ferrari. He's like, yes, you are. I said, it's like dating the pastor's daughter. This is like a no-no. I'm not going to scratch that thing. It's like my whole salary. He's like, no, you're going to drive it. And so we're driving down near Camp Denison. He's like, punch it. And I'm like, I don't want to break your car, you know. And uh, so I'm driving this Ferrari. It's amazing. We go to lunch. And he begins to tell his story. And he started his company 
in his 20s on his kitchen table designing and building these couple little fittings that he made and like literally getting the packaging, putting it in, sending it out by himself from his kitchen table. And he said, uh, I just, I wanted to serve people. I wanted to create a, a, a product that other people didn't have and that I know I needed. And, and his clients were happy. And he began to expand the company. And things began to grow. And he found ways to bless his company and hire people and, and, and create benefits that help people really prosper. And he began to talk about just the ways in which he was financially generous. And he was just generous to so many things. Now, by this time I knew at 70, he was generous to a lot of things. In fact, I think if you went around Cincinnati, there's probably no place untouched that uh, he probably had not given very generously to. And he began to talk about special needs. He had some special needs in his family, and I did as well. And we began to just share the way in which God grew his business, the way in which he just loved being generous and loved being quiet and, and not really making a big deal about it. And I thought, no wonder God keeps growing this guy's company. No wonder God keeps giving him bigger mountains. Who wouldn't want that kind of service, that kind of heart, that kind of boss, that kind of generosity at larger and larger scales? And I was with him several years ago before he died. And I was over at his house. And we were kind of preparing for what would ultimately be a couple weeks later when he passed away. When we did his, his uh, service here in this room. And somebody had collected all the ways he'd been generous. And even when we built this building, he said, hey, I want to be part of that, part of this chapel. He was one of the people who donated to be part of the chapel. And, and uh, I was going to mention at the funeral all the ways he'd been generous just to our community and to our city and to our world. And, and the family asked me, or told me rather, I couldn't mention any of it because he liked to give secretly and privately. Even at his own funeral, he would, they would let me talk about it. And I thought, well, isn't that how God works? If you're somebody who's faithful and humble and generous, why wouldn't God want to expand your summits to give you bigger places that the who you're becoming would just continue to bless other people? So here's my question. Instead of waiting till you arrive someplace to start serving, to start giving, to start looking for the needs around you? What if God's saying, I want you to arrive by succeeding anywhere, right where you are, what does it look like to serve others, to give to other people, to be generous? Same thing for us as a church. I mean, think of all the ways in which Roy blessed us and many of us on the receiving end sitting in this room of some of the ways he was generous. How about right now? How many times have people been serving and putting packages together in the children's ministry for your kids or your grandkids? How many times somebody greeted you at the door how many times has somebody given financially out of their weekly, monthly income so that, you know, we now we keep the doors open. We do things with excellence in two different services and allow to have a tents and, and, and video equipment, right? I would just encourage you. Maybe God's challenging you to be serve financially, serve with your time during this phase of our church. It's an exciting time. We're actually just renovating the children's program after 10 years, making that whole stage look different because we want the next 10 years to be even better than the last 10 years. Maybe financially, or maybe serving-wise, as we're opening back up and we're having three services now that are beginning to fill up, we need more and more people to serve. Serve in children's areas and student areas and tech teams and things like that. And I would just encourage you, come alongside with us. Come alongside and say, I want to be part of something that God's doing right now. Yeah, you're always going to be busy. I know you're busy. But what if, like Joseph, we say, I want to become a person that serves whatever stage I'm at? Because that's what he does. 
And it's amazing. He just keeps serving. You'd be like, I can't serve. I'm in prison right now. <laughs> okay, I don't think that's a good excuse. I can't serve. I'm a slave right now. He kept serving. What does it look like for you to serve and trust God in your current circumstances? It's amazing. Well, the third way to kind of frame is this idea that I arrive when I learn how to succeed anywhere. So what does God want? What does it mean to succeed anywhere? What are the characteristics he's trying to build into you and I so that we can become the people he wants us to be? Well, again, I think you see it in these stages. What did he learn in the pit but humility? Right? Look, brothers, I'm going to one day rule you. You're going to bow down to me. You might want to keep that to yourself, younger brother. He learns humility. Here, Potiphar's place, he learns faithfulness, how to faithfully keep doing stuff when you don't like your boss and you don't like your circumstances. But he succeeds and he, he does well for the people in charge of him. He learns wisdom. Man, he's so wise. How he handles things, how he negotiates things. How he works in, even in prison with a prison guard and all these kind of VIPs that are coming into prison. How he listens to them and serves them. So by the time God gives him this bigger summit, you see all three of these characteristics play out. Humility, faithfulness, and wisdom. See, he learned to arrive, become the person God has for him. He became humble, he became faithful, he became wise. He can now succeed anywhere. So God puts him somewhere. Here's what happens. First, it's humility. So the Pharaoh says, who can interpret my dream? He tells him the dream. And Joseph's like, listen, I can't, but God can. I have a dream. There's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that you can understand it to interpret it. And I'd be like, I've been in prison. Yes, yes, I can. Yes, yes, you get me out of prison, I'll stay whatever you want. This would not be the time for me to spread credit around or to talk about my Hebrew God amongst all the Egyptian pantheon. But he's just so humble and Joseph is confident and ambitious, but humble. He says, so Joseph answered Pharaoh and says, well, it's not in me, but my God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You ever met somebody like that? I mean, there's plenty of self-righteous, arrogant Christian religious people. I'm one of them, but you know, <laughs> there's, no, there's no amount of Christians that don't turn people off. But occasionally you come across one who's ambitious and humble, who's confident but kind. Like, man, there's something there I've never seen before. And that's what Pharaoh's like. And so he interprets his dream, and he says, listen, here's what the dream means. It's from God. You're going to have seven years of, of plenty financially. There's just going to be money pouring in for seven years. We're going to have bounty like you've never seen before. But it's going to be followed with seven years of famine, like a famine Egypt's never seen before. It's going to affect the whole world. And so if we take 20% of the income and save for the next seven years and store it up, we will use that 20% grain to sustain us and the world for the next seven difficult years. So find somebody who's wise enough to manage this thing and handle this thing because that's the way we're going to Egypt's going to survive and all of the world's going to survive. That's we get the second characteristic. <laughs> Pharaoh hears all that and he's like, you know what, I got a bunch of magicians and I got a bunch of leaders, but I got nobody like that. I need somebody like that. Here's what it says about his wisdom, faithfulness. Do you serve in the little things? This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do, seven years, seven years. And Pharaoh said to his servants, hey, guys, can we find anyone around us who is like this? Not what, who. In whom is the Spirit of God? Wow, this guy's faithful. Wow, this guy's wise. Man. 
worked at Potiphar's, a government official's. He worked in now a government prison. If you can interpret this dream and you've got this track record, I want to use who you've become to faithfully administer what we need to save the kingdom, save Egypt, and save the world. Faithfulness. Do you serve in the little things? Because when he served in the little things, God gave him a bigger summit to succeed in the bigger things. And thirdly is wisdom. I mean, look how struck he is about wisdom. Are you, are you allowing God to develop you during the waiting times? Not just waiting until I get somewhere. I'll succeed when I get somewhere. But no, God, form me during the waiting times. Make me wiser. What can I learn here at Potiphar's? What can I learn here during prison? What can I learn in these difficult times? Are you allowing God to make you wise? Here's what it says. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, you know what? I'm not just going to pick somebody. I'm picking you. You're the one. I set you over all the land of Egypt. So he took off his signet ring. And he put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in the garments of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck, and he had him ride in the second chariot, and he set him over all the land of Egypt. And all of a sudden, that dream he had so many years ago, remember that dream? What was the dream? The dream that one day, all of the world would bow down to him, including his brothers. And as we'll see next week, that famine will extend all the way back to his hometown where Abraham's descendants, Jacob and all his sons, are starving to death. And they would have died except that they travel to Egypt, thinking the brother's dead. And because of Joseph's wise administering faithfulness of the food, because he's such a genius financial planner, he's able to not only bless the Egyptians, but save his entire family, which eventually moved to Egypt as we move from the book of Genesis to Exodus. So how about for you? As you think about your life, how are you framing your waiting times? Are you going to succeed when you arrive somewhere? There's good somewheres to think about and dream about. But what if you arrive when you can succeed anywhere? See, what that does is it changes your focus. Your focus is now on who God's developing you to be versus what or where you're going to arrive. God, where I am right now, at this stage of life I'm in right now, with these challenges I have in my life right now, who are you developing me into? There's nothing wrong with talking about where and what. But what if our focus was who? I want to become a person who flourishes, a person who is kind, who is faithful, who is wise, who is humbly ambitious. God, make me into the person you want me to be. Remember Pharaoh said, can anyone find somebody in whom is the Spirit of God? And here in this we see the ultimate Joseph is Jesus. Because at the beginning of his life, Jesus says, hey, God says, I'm going to use Jesus to save the world, right? It's the angels say. He's born to save the world. His name Jesus means to save. And yet the journey from Jesus, from the vision or the dream given by the angels to the time he actually you know, sits at the right hand of the throne of God and resurrects, what's the path look like? A lot of betrayal, a lot of death, a lot of burial. God's way of achieving our dreams is to send us through the challenges to form us. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, which if you don't know, we have a two-service designed at our church. So we study verse by verse in our first two services at our equipping service. We're right now going through Hebrews. So if you're interested in this, you can get on the app or come to one of our services. The book of Hebrews in chapter uh, 6 or 7, it says that Jesus, 
No, chapter 2. Is perfected through suffering. That might not seem particularly strange to you, but Jesus, the Bible teaches, is God. He's already perfect. And yet God who was perfect was made more perfect through his suffering. That even perfection put through the vault of challenge comes out on the other side more perfect. That God used suffering and difficulty to make the captain of our salvation become even more of who he was. We knew he was forgiving, but to have Romans pound nails into his hands and feet and what comes out of him, who is this guy when he's being crucified? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's forgiveness. Wait till you see the forgiveness Joseph has next week. If you've ever struggled with forgiving people who've harmed you, you've been through PTSD because of harm and betrayal and maliciousness, wait till you see what Joseph does to forgive his brothers next week. It's going to be so helpful if you've ever had to struggle with boundaries and forgiving people. Jesus himself became the best version of himself through suffering because he focused on who you want me to be, God, not just where you want me to go.